after years on the road, Timmy parked the van and picked up the mic to bring you this podcast that features interviews with people from hardcore to hair metal. This is Talk To Me with your host, Joshua Toomey. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me, episode 200. <laughs> Oh, thank you guys for checking out the podcast each and every week. And what an amazing accomplishment. 200 episodes of this podcast, the Talk To Me podcast. And I know some of you have listened to all 200 episodes, and that's insane. Thank you guys for checking it out. And, uh... Man, what a, what a ride this has been, and to uh, to 200 more, how about that? The guest this week is the great Devin Townsend. Had to go to Canada. I didn't know a whole lot about Devin Townsend going into this episode, but man, what a great guy. Easy to talk to, had so much fun. His new album, Path, is an amazing album. Check it out, it is a musical journey. That's all I have to say. Well, I have more to say, but uh, it has cows, it has cats, it has blast beats. It's got Chad Kroger from Nickelback. I mean, everything you could ever want in an album is on this album. And you guys know that the Talk To Me podcast is brought to you by our good friend Scott Bowling down in Atlanta, Georgia, with his show Good Company with Bowling. Make sure you're heading over to YouTube or scottgoodcompany.com and check out his wonderfully done interviews done by the great Nathan Mowry, who has done stuff for DDP Yoga, all the Fozzie videos, and so much more. Great interviews with Head from Corn. And if you haven't seen that documentary, Loud Crazy Love, make sure you're checking it out. It's on Showtime. Find a friend of yours that has a Showtime login and check it out. It's a great documentary. But we are talking about scottgoodcompany.com. We are talking about Good Company with Bowling. Yes, scottgoodcompany.com. Or check it out on YouTube. Interviews with Head. Members of Seven Dust, Stuck Mojo, Fozzie, Islander, Matt Pinfield. What a cool episode that is. And Jose Mangan. So much more. Check it out. Let him know that the Talk To Me podcast sent you. That will be much appreciated. Connect with Talk To Me on Facebook at facebook.com slash talk to me talk. I'm not collecting friends and I'm not building any fonts. I don't want to get sucked into this. And Twitter at Talk To Me Talk. So we've got episode 200 and I threw it out there to get some memories, some of your favorite episodes, things like that. I haven't done this in a while. Normally I get right into the episode, but uh, let's check out some of what you guys had to say. And I did have this. I actually had an industry person, we'll say, emailing another industry person about this very podcast. And the line that I loved was, she wrote that this podcast directly hits the ears of the metal community. I think that might be the slogan of the show. The Talk To Me podcast directly hits the ears of the metal community. Couldn't said it better myself. Get a few uh, few comments here. Jason Zylstra, Zylstra, sorry if I butchered your name there. Uh, favorite memories of the podcast are Wes Borland, Glenn Benton, and Phil Dimmel. And uh, he likes knowing that his peers have as much drama as us little musicians. Andrew Balderson, Glenn Benton, uh, amazing. But every episode has a charm to it. It's like a small farmhouse. It has a charm. Adam Gates, uh, Wes Borland was great. And Brian Gordon, besides the pods that blew up the internet, I enjoyed the ones with John 5, John from Seven Dust, Sumo Psycho, Mina from Life of Agony. The Vinnie Vincent jabs are always hilarious. 
And uh, he likes the NFL talk. Break from asking artists about their gear. Aaron Baker loves Phil Anselmo for sure. And then Steve Savage, um, <laughs> his favorite quote from the podcast, you have to think to yourself, how many of those thumb downs are Corey Taylor? Love, Glenn Benton. You know, it's funny how much people love Glenn Benton on this podcast. Like, they got they, the, the most requested episode guys or the most requested guys are Glenn Benton, like Wes Borland, Phil Anselmo, it has to now be Phil Demmel, and even Jakey e. Lee. Like some of those interviews went absolutely bonkers on the uh, on the internets there. And uh, you know, recently Phil Demmel, David Silvera, uh, last week with Bill Conway of the Hard Times podcast. Man, that was a lot of fun too. It's fun to see how many episodes or how many downloads those episodes get. Not the not the huge name. Not the huge, uh, doesn't blow up the internet, you know, like it just shows me, I guess, how many listeners I truly have. And uh, it's a lot of fun, man. I've, I've uh, recently got all the episodes or a majority of the episodes on YouTube. So if YouTube is your preferred way to listen, uh, you should definitely be able to go back and listen to all the episodes you want to on YouTube or uh, Spreaker. Just signed up for the Spreaker. Got to get that out there now, too. And uh, so many ways you can hear this podcast. Really trying to update talktomepod.com to be a one-stop shop too. So, so much stuff going on here at Talk To Me. One man show like it's been for a while and uh, doing my best to get it out to you every week on time on Thursday. Sorry there, Metal Mike, if I don't get it out to you every Thursday on time. I swear if I have an episode that's late, I get a text at like 7.30 in the morning like, where's the episode, bro? It's coming. It's always coming. It'll be out. So once again, huge thank you to everyone who reaches out. You guys mean the world to me when it comes to all this stuff, and I wouldn't keep doing it if it wasn't for you guys. So thank you for listening each and every week. So let's get into uh, some Strapping Young Lad. Let's talk to Devin Townsend. Let's check out some of his new stuff. I believe I'm going to play Genesis off of his new album, Empath. And then we will get to Rob Rivera's pick from the kit. And then I will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Wes Borland from Limp Bizkit, Big Dumb Face, Black Light Burns, Queen Fong, and you're listening to Talk To Me.
man, I have to say, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. We've got uh, Devin Townsend on the line, and his new album, Empath, is an amazing musical journey, man. I was, uh, from the moment I hit play till the end of the album, I've uh, been blown away by this album. Nice, man. Yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, it was difficult. <laughs> I, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> but it's also cathartic, too. I think by the time, you know, we're, we're at the, uh, at the tail end of, of, you know, the, the work that went into it and, and that work includes uh, the promotion of it now, etc. And, uh, it was fairly cathartic as well as being difficult and, uh, feel better off for having done it to be fair. <laughs> when you're writing these type of songs like a Genesis and, and where there's so many different styles going on and, you know, one part goes to the next part, but they could be completely different songs. Are those pieces of songs that you have in your head that go together, or is that the natural progression of the riff or the idea? I guess it depends on the song. It also depends on the period in which it's written. Um, the empath stuff uh, was, uh, and the process in which it was written was specific to this age and this sort of psychology that has uh, occurred as a result of touring for as much as I have and midlife and all these things. And I guess it happens in one of several ways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a a very clear trajectory. Uh, But in a case like Genesis, there's also an element of just playfulness that I I tried to incorporate where I would be writing uh, in accordance to what would be uh, considered a traditional sort of song structure and then just find myself bored and <laughs> right. as a result of that, I was like, well, why not we just try something different? And and there's a number of techniques that I would employ to experiment with where the song might go. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it went in those ways. Yeah, my notes I have written down that Genesis has blast beats, kittens, electronics, and a cow. So, yeah, it's all over the place. <laughs> well, that's, that's a lot like... I find my life in general, that sounds like a good overview for <laughs> a day in the life of most of us in 2018. We, 19. Oh, yeah, well, yeah we're, it's so crazy how, how time is flying. Um, when it comes to Genesis, and we'll kind of hit on that one a few times, and I know by the time that this interview goes up, I know you have a video for Genesis coming out, uh, so people will have heard it. But, you know, a song like that, when you, when you want to throw a kitten on, I mean, is that... Is that something you find online, or are you so aggro that you actually want to mic up some kittens, or you want to go mic up a cow? Where do you, where do you get these sounds? YouTube. <laughs> I basically, for years, they have these sample sites that I used to um, sign up for, and and I always remember thinking it was it was really uh, exorbitantly expensive for what you get. So basically, you could punch in what you're looking for, kitten sounds, for mm-hmm. example. And they would give you a selection of sounds that you could audition, and then if you wanted to use them, they'd be $10 or something, right? But now, with YouTube, I just type in kitten sounds free HD. (laughs) And I'm astounded by what comes up. And, and And then what I do is I just take a headphone jack out of my phone and I just plug it into the recording unit, and there's my kittens and my cows. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's convenient, and it's actually uh, 
it's a, a really great um, uh, avenue for me to, to try and uh, achieve some of these sounds because really you don't want to use things without permission, but uh, there's a whole bunch of people <laughs> for whatever reason that put up sounds that are free to use on YouTube. So there's my kittens. However, there's a dog sound that was my dog on the record. And so uh, I gave myself $10 for that one. I was going to say, he's probably looking for his cut, his royalties on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just gave her some extra food. Yeah, right. You had uh, you had said that um, you wanted to wait until you uh, completed the entire album to kind of hear the album back. I'm assuming you've heard the album back now in its entirety, and what are your feelings on it now? When I first heard it, I found it overwhelming. I found it um, uh, so emotionally and sonically intense that uh, it left me in this odd sort of vibratory state, I think. But upon further listens and upon being able to recognize that my intention throughout this process was to make something that was ultimately one that resonated with a sense of optimism or hope uh, and uh, with a hopefully sort of an overt kind of anti-suicide message to it. I think that the intensity that I had initially interpreted as um, overwhelming is actually very just a very accurate representation of how I feel um, things are socially in the world just at large right now. And therefore, you know, going after the name Empath, it's, it's an accurate representation of what I felt the uh, inspiration for this was. When you're writing such complex stuff and there's so much going on and it's not your simple you know, just a guitar, bass, drums, vocal, you know, you've got, like I said, cows and kittens on it. Um, when do you feel like, were there points where you felt like you might have went too far? How do you know when you've gone too far? How do you know when you need more? Where? How do you find that balance? I think I would have only had gone too far with this record had I strayed from what the intention was. You know, I think that going too far in terms of creative freedom or in terms of, uh, you know, the technical sides of this or, or the instrumentation or, or all that. I, I wasn't worried about that because, um, I think what I was craving for this particular period of my, of my creative work was, was to do something that, that didn't have the sort of self-imposed parameters that I think I put on myself for the past decade or so, maybe mm -hmm. more of, well, you can't do that, or you can't put a kitten in a blast beat, or you can't put a musical theater after death metal, or, or what have you. There's there was really these kind of self-imposed sort of um, fences that I had put around my creativity, and I didn't feel uh, in the slightest that I, I took that too far. But the one thing that I, I was very conscious of during which is little things, like I didn't want to put swearing on it. I didn't want to have... For example, the heavy parts of the record uh, come across as being um, anything other than than a juxtaposition to the to the mellower stuff, right? Because again, in my opinion, that's life. Like there's ups and downs to to life, and and it's very important for me to represent that. So I guess long story long, no, I don't feel like I went too far with it. But I felt like had I not had a leash on my um, emotional state or my 
psychological state, it, it, it could have been a fine line, right? Absolutely. I love that you said uh, the musical theater and death metal next to each other because in my notes for the song Why, I have Disney meets Deicide. So, uh, <laughs> like, uh, so, so we're definitely on the same page there. With the song like Why, um, it's very, very theatrical. You know, where, where did that one come from inside you? Well, I think prior to me being interested in, in Judas Priest and Metallica and Wasp and all that stuff when I was 13 or 14 years old, I had been raised with um, musical theater and uh, the 70s musicals, which belies my age, but uh, were really a part of my upbringing. The Painter Wagon, Jesus Christ Superstar, Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Phantom of the Opera, all that sort of Andrew Lloyd Webber type stuff was a big part of my formative years, my parents listened to it. And as a young musician, it was a very efficient way to learn how um, certain musical tonalities adhere themselves to emotion because it's uh, portrayed. Like this is what sound, this is what sadness sounds like or looks like. And this is what happiness sounds and looks like. And so, uh, you know, it has always been a, a part of me that now when I watch those movies, uh, something like West Side Story, where the music is, is so phenomenal, yet the lyrical and the dramatic parts of it I find very cringeworthy at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always been interested in that, and I think that um, moving forward, I've always had an intention to make uh, a musical, like a Broadway-style musical. And why, on this record, uh, the song Why, acts in a way to soften the blow. <laughs> For when I do choose to do a full-blown musical, because at that point, um, at least I've sort of uh, shot one across the bow of the uh, audience with why. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one thing, man. Both of my kids are in uh, theater now, and uh, you know I get to go and watch those, watch them perform, and it's all the moving parts. It's so impressive, even though they're just in high school and middle school. But all the moving parts of the songs and the acting and everything. It's uh, it it they put a lot of hard work into it, and uh, you know I think you have to at least appreciate musical theater very much. And I think that you know, as I said a moment ago, how I feel about it now is significantly different than I felt when I was a kid. But as a kid, and I'm talking seven or eight years old, mm -hmm. like a kid, um, I found that a lot of that musical theater stuff was really emotionally intense because it was very uh, broad strokes, you know, it was, it was clear that, you know, the guy dies in West Side Story and this is what the music sounds like. Spoiler alert. Or, you know, oh yeah, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> if anybody hasn't seen that in the past 45 years, right. uh, he doesn't actually die. He just sleeps. But um, I think the whole point uh, that I was hoping to make with that is that it's just, I really like uh, the cathartic release of emotions through music. And, and maybe I just found that that was a, an efficient way when I was younger. And uh, with an album like this, and it's similar to what I asked a little bit earlier, but it took you a year and a half to complete it. When do you know that you're done? You know, when do you know that all the layers are, are done? You know, do you just have to stop or, or could you continue tweaking and adding to this day. One thing I always thought would make a great shirt for any of us in the, in music or art in general, I guess, is 
it's never done. You just have to abandon it at some point. <laughs> and uh, I think what my uh, one of my main reasons for continuing to do what I do is the fact that I'm a complete and utter perf- perfectionist. However, I'm so far from perfect that it it's hilarious. So I'm always striving for something that I fundamentally am incapable of achieving. So deadlines really work well for me. When people say you have no option but to hand it in tomorrow, then I'm like, well, I guess it's done. Right. <laughs> yeah, typically it has to be a deadline, especially with me, it has to be a deadline. And uh, and that means I'll procrastinate for the first, you know, first half of the deadline and then uh, cram it all in the end. That's me. <laughs> well, dude, I've got a project that's due on Monday. Nice. That I sat down at my computer today and I said, I'm going to wait until... Sunday to finish this. And my reason is not uh, necessarily that I'm a procrastinator, which I, I guess I most certainly am, but I think that there's also a certain creative thing that comes from the adrenaline that you know that there's no more time. That without that, you just, I find I kind of spin my wheels, right? So sometimes that kind of panic that at the end of a project comes from someone saying, we need this now. Uh, is a way for me to make decisions that maybe I've hummed and hawed about for for too long. With um, you've got a lot of special guests on this album and a lot of collaborators. Uh, one of the biggest names, obviously, in all of music is Chad Kroger of Nickelback. Obviously, listening through the album one time or two times, actually, now he doesn't. You know, photograph just doesn't start up at some point. So, is he prominently <laughs> available on the album? Is he doing? Is he playing the blast beats? Is he the cow? Like, where is Chad on this album? <laughs> Well, Chad, on a on a um, practical level, exists with a vocal part that he contributed to the really heavy song "Hear Me." Okay. In the chorus, he sings the uh, the harmony, nice. but really, his um, his contribution to the record was one that uh, can't be understated for me um, for a number of reasons, but. Primarily because here's a guy who's had, you know, a phenomenal success doing a type of music and being in a band that is clearly divisive. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that hate that band and hate him. But, you know, I, I think I'm fortunate in the sense that although I was very critical of the band for years, um, I also, if there's something that somebody does, and I like it. I mean, I, I don't have much to lose at this point for saying, hey, I like this. Right. You know, I like that five-figure Death Punch album that I was told isn't cool to like. Or I like, you know, the new Nickelback song, which apparently you're not supposed to say you like or whatever. So anyway, I heard the first song off their Feed the Machine record when it came out. And um, I, I don't know the guy, but I put up a, twi- a thing on Twitter saying, hey, I like the new Nickelback song. And the shitstorm that ensued on my Twitter feed <laughs> right. was... Well, you know, it's like something that you would reserve for for great dramas, right? But the next day, because him and I have mutual friends, I got a I got a text from him saying, "Hey, this is Chad, and I just want to say thanks for saying nice things about my band." I was like, "Well, to be clear, I haven't always said that, right?" <laughs> but uh, but I said also, to be fair, I have heard that you've been critical of what I do as well, and I think I'm probably jealous. 
but we started this conversation and um he said when you get back to town come over to my house we can just spend a day hanging out and i uh, you know and i think because the level of success that he is at compared to mine i mean you can't compare the two so in a way there's no competition with it it's not like you know i have anything to prove with this guy and Conversely, he has opinions on things that I haven't had like a support network to figure out. Like, okay, well, how do I deal with this? And so I was talking to him, and I realized that we really started that we really actually got along. And I said to him, "Well, listen, man, I'm 45 years old. I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, although I'm fortunate to be making a living at what I do, there's a part of me that's just exhausted, and I feel like maybe I should just make a pop record. I should just." essentially make a sellout record three and a half minute long song start with the chorus big kick drum you know what i mean mm -hmm. and he was the one after spending because i ended up spending a bunch of time with him actually and he was the one one of two people that said i think that that is the wrong move i think that what you should do instead is go the opposite direction and make something that's uncompromised because the reason why he's had success is not because he was trying to do something he's just fortunate that the thing that he likes doing resonates with a lot of people but the point of why he does it i realized in my interactions with it is very same very much the same thing as to why i do it it just manifests as like a different style of music so had it not been with chad i, I think that i could have uh, been very tempted to make a record that could have pissed on the whole career arc to be honest and uh I feel like I owe him a debt of gratitude to a certain extent. Absolutely. So this house that Chad has, is it is it as insane as it should be? <laughs> oh, I'd say it would be more so than that. And it would be one of many, I would imagine. But, but you know what's interesting is it also made me realize that with that comes so many issues, too. Like, you or I, I'm sure we'd all we'd love to be independently wealthy and maybe have a boat or multiple properties in different parts of the world and all this sort of thing. But at the same time, it's like I think that the reason him, for example, why he has that is because he's capable of handling that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? In ways that I just don't think I would be able to. Like I. Uh, you know, I have a house and I have a car, but I don't want a bigger house and I don't want a different <laughs> car. You know what I mean? It's like, in fact, the more stuff that I have, the more complicated my life seems to be. So I am very uh, happy for him that he has achieved that level of success, but I just don't think it's, it's what I need. I don't think it would be healthy for me to be honest, but you know, I'm at a point now where I don't have to say no to the guacamole, and that is great. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's, that's an amazing uh, way to live your life there. Uh, as we kind of wrap up, <laughs> you've got a, a, a tour coming up with Avatar that you're kind of going out, and it's, uh, it's, it's billed as Devin Townsend Acoustic. So what should people expect with that? <clears throat> me and an acoustic guitar <laughs> opening up for a metal band, so wish me luck. Right? Sounds like fun, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had denied it at first. I said no to it. And then um, uh, they came back with a really uh, cool situation for me where I could travel with them and, and you know, use their front of house guy. And 
And it allows me to, to visit the States and Canada again, which uh, is important for me to do upon release of a record. But also I think what's important with a tour like that is what often gets uh, forgotten, I think, even by myself, is that all this shit that I make with, you know, orchestras and choirs and 700 tracks of, you know, barn animals and whatever, um, ultimately just starts with me and a guitar in a hotel room or, or wherever. And I think that uh, it's important for me in terms of putting together this next band that I start touring with in November that um, I bring it back to the essentials and represent this stuff um, without any, uh, you know, glitz, without any of the backing tracks and and uh, m- movie screens and, and, and all this. It's, it's important I've, I feel to sort of reconnect with the the human side of what it is that I do. And I think it's a good opportunity to do that. All right. And one last really stupid question you'll probably hang up on me for, but uh, years and years ago, I had very long dreadlocks, cut them off and, you, you know, had a moment. I remember reading uh, before I cut mine off. I remember reading Lenny Kravitz talking about cutting his off and how it released all of these uh demon you know i don't know demons or whatnot but it released all of these uh emotions and things like that did you get anything like that when you finally uh shaved your head i don't know if it was uh, i don't know if it was like an exorcism in the sense of you know someone like lenny kravitz because he had legitimate dreadlocks right i just had poo sticks right like i just had (laughs) this hair that i didn't wash for several years it just turned into lumpy uh clumps of 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 filth and uh so what i felt when i shaved them off was a profound sense of like cleanliness (laughs) (laughs) i was like i was like wow my my pillow smells so much better. <laughs> I agree with all that. I remember the uh, the first time I went to get an, an actual haircut, and the lady uh, washed my hair for the first time in like four years. Not, I mean, I washed my oh, hair, yeah. but I'm saying like got in there with her fingers and her nails and stuff. Oh, yeah. I was just like, I could li- I could have stayed in that sink forever. It was uh, it was such bliss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I wish that feeling remains, but uh, sadly, it left after about a week of, of relentless hair washing. I just realize that at that point I was an old bald man and uh, <laughs> I had to try and find a way around that in terms of my uh, public persona. Well, absolutely, <laughs> Devin. Well, it looks like our time is up, man. It's great to talk to you. Empath is out in March. You guys, go check it out. And uh, great musical journey. Throw on some headphones and close your eyes and uh, take the journey with Devin, man. It was It's great stuff. Thank you so much for the support, brother. Have a great day. All right, take it easy. Bye.
What's up, everybody? Rob Rivera from the band Nonpoint, and here's my weekly segment of Rob's Pick from the Kit on the Talk to Me podcast. And today, we're going to feature Machine Head, Blood for Blood, from the first album, Burn My Eyes. If anybody knows me, knows how dear and near to my heart that record is to me, what that album means to me. Uh, I remember reading about it, I think, in Metal Maniacs with uh, Bori Borge. I can't pronounce it. Kriggan. I don't know how to pronounce your name, Bori. I'm so sorry, but I love you. Um, doing, I think, the Firing Squad, the demo section, and reviewing that Machine Head album, uh, demo, sorry, which I actually have, and um, on a cassette, by the way, when demos were on cassette. I thought demos were more appropriate being on a cassette for some reason. Anyway, um, hearing that uh, that that record, I went and the day before it came out, I went to Uncle Sam's Music in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, around the Sunrise, Florida area, Fort Lauderdale. I walked in there and I had it was there, like a promotional copy that they had, and I bought it. So I don't know if it counted as a sound scan, but I have bought it a couple times since then. So. All good. I have it on vinyl, I have it on CD, and I have it on MP3. If it was a fucking cassette and 8-track of it, too, I'd probably buy it. But anyway, I listened to Davidian, and when that fucking song started, Let Free, when he said Let Freedom Ring with a Shotgun Blast, I was like, holy fuck. This is just insane. And as I listening to that album, I felt like metal was saved again. Like, oh my god, they have incorporated Pantera, Sepultura, and Biohazard and made it their own. And then I saw the video for the video with Rob with fucking Cornrows. And, and I'm, I have a soft spot for that lineup uh, with Logan, Chris, and Adam. And I've seen every era of Machine Head. I saw him with Aru, and I saw him with Phil and Dave. And um, we, we got to open up for them way back in the day. With them and Snot, and that was like uh, just so mind blowing. And I actually worked a show uh, for them. They play with Stuck Mojo, and they're in Pompano Beach, right down the street, actually, from the venue that we play with them at uh, when we uh, opened up for them and Snot. And I remember they had a replacement drummer. I think the guy who was in Death Angel now uh, played that show. Chris was not in the band anymore. And I also saw him on that cycle with, uh, with, um, who, Slayer and Biohazard. But I remember going up to Rob Flynn, and I know they were looking for a drummer, and I know that I don't have the talent to be a machine head. I did fill in once for them, uh, on tour, uh, for a couple songs, but... I went up to Rob Flair and said, man, I will move my entire life to San Francisco tonight if I get to audition and make it in Machine Head. I will leave Florida and move to San Francisco. But, you know, nothing became of that, but I do remember saying that to him. He probably doesn't remember that, but I did say that to him just because I love that first album so much and the second, More Things Change. Those two records are just legendary and someone, for the love of God, put out More Things Change on vinyl. And somebody get me a copy of the Blackening. That shit's so fucking expensive out there on Discogs. But anyway, 
this song, Blood for Blood, when I just saw them recently uh, with their farewell tour with Phil and Dave, which is so heartbreaking to me, but I have so many memories I have of them. They played the song, and it just brought me back to that time. And remember me remembering, Rob, hey, I will move to San Francisco to play with you guys right now. And I was just so blown away that they played. They played a, quite a few songs from that record, and it made me very happy. So this is Blood for Blood from Machine Head. Fuck yeah. This is Rob Flynn from Machine Head, and you're listening to Talk To Me.
Glenn Benton's Deer Side, and you're listening to Talk to Me. All right, huge thank you to Rob Rivera for his weekly pick from the kit segment. And then also thank you to Devin Townsend for coming on the podcast. And what a cool guy. What a great interview. And uh, I will definitely support him from here on out and have him on the show whenever he would like to come back on. So make sure you guys are checking out talktomepod.com. If you guys want to support the podcast monetarily, it's patreon.com slash talktome. If you want to follow the show, check it out facebook.com or twitter.com at talk to me talk or facebook.com slash talk to me talk all of these are in the show notes all of the links are there for the merchandise and the patreon and the twitter and the facebook and you can email me directly it's so I, i'm everywhere and with that for episode 200 of the talk to me podcast i've been joshua Toomey. thank you guys for checking it out And I will talk to you guys next Thursday.